Episode 3. Contemplation. Following my exhausting conversation with the preacher, I wanted to get away from the others, to find a place where I could be on my own and process the activities of my heart and mind. But this was impossible as we were boarding our boat, heading for Ephesus. At first, the only place I could find was a small space at the bottom of the ship. I could see the slaves through a gap in the wall, and I sat there, staring into their empty eyes. I waited until I knew the others had settled down for the night, and then crept back to a quiet space on deck. I wanted to try and work through the thoughts running around in my head, and the emotions that stirred deep in my heart. There was not much time. Ephesus was a few days away, and Colossae was just up the road. My basic dilemma seemed to be this. Given that I am not the freeman I claim to be, what do I do? Since our time in Troas, my role in the team was no longer simply ensuring everyone was fed and that other basic logistics were looked after. I was now part of the team that publicly shared the good news of Jesus. Clearly, I could not continue with this, as I was promoting something that I was not living. I was purporting to be something I was not. I could not stay with the preacher and his team. But where do I go? Back to Troas, peddling food. My story was strong but taking precautions every day had resulted in a restricted life. Often not sleeping well when I noticed someone in the market that I thought was from Colossae. This had also resulted in me not being able to connect to a social network, or even start a family. Not being able to fully live as a freeman, in a way, made a mockery of my freeman's coat. My mind went back to the numerous conversations that I had been part of or had listened to. I recalled a question from a slave who was visiting the preacher in Troas. Do you really think a slave can be free in his slavery and that a freeman can be a slave in his freedom? The preacher had answered, if that were not so, then the message of Jesus is false. It was clear to me that while Troas was as good a hiding place as there could be, I had become a slave to my precautions. I had the appearance of being free, but I was practically a slave to my environment. My precautions were a type of prison, but at least nothing like the prison I had lived in before my escape. I recalled the way my master treated me. He was not the best master, but far from the worst. We had basic food and clothing, and some time for family. Work conditions were hard but not as cruel as some. I quickly stopped myself. Any kind of justification for slavery was surely crazy. Slavery as a system of oppression was obviously evil, irrespective of the conditions in which any slave found themselves. Being owned by another was the core problem, and the conditions in which a slave lived and worked did not deal with this problem. So, what do I do? As I listened to the water lapping against the side of the boat, another impossible thought invaded my mind. I could go back to my master and plead for my life. This thought was obvious madness and was met with an immediate deep internal fury and anger that I did not know existed. For what would going back say about my regard for an unjust culture? A culture that was in total conflict with the teachings of Jesus. What would this say about the pain that I and all other slaves had endured because of this evil social construct? A construct that produced a society that lived and breathed off inequality. The freedom I had experienced, limited as it was, was proof of this. Going back was out of the question. For to go back would mean I would have to put on a slave's coat, and so would be voluntarily submitting to an evil culture. It would mean paying slavery respect that it did not deserve. It would mean treating as evil my righteous act of escape. I did not and could not approve of the system in any way.
and going back would be a statement of approval to the culture and system that kept it in place. In any case, going back was tantamount to probable suicide. Runaway slaves are used as examples, and normally do not live long. My rant continued within me, with words of fury and deep tears for those still in captivity. Everything screamed in my head. Exhaustion eventually put me to sleep. It was a restless sleep, and I woke up early, surrounded by the peacefulness of the ocean. The peace did not last. Rather it seemed only to energize the internal struggle, which continued where it had left off. Do you really think a slave can be free in his slavery and that a freeman can be a slave in his freedom? The preacher had answered, if that were not so, then the message of Jesus is false. The statement stuck in my throat. Understanding how a freeman can become a slave was easy. He could be enslaved by many things, the most obvious of which was debt. But how could a slave, whose life was steeped and rooted in pain, oppression, and disadvantage, be free in his slavery? I recalled how the preacher lived under the cloud of being arrested, flogged, and imprisoned. But even if this cloud was a prison of some kind, the difference was that the preacher was enslaved by what he had chosen, just as a freeman could choose to be a slave by selling himself into slavery. He could at any time return to his life as a citizen. My situation was different. I was born into slavery. My condition was not something of my own doing. How unfair is that? Worse still, it was a curse that followed me when I escaped. As much as I had tried to throw away the past and create my own identity as a freeman, it seemed I could never be truly released from my past. In a way, I was a slave to my past and my precautions, as I was always afraid of being discovered. The simple act of wearing a freeman's coat did not enable me to be truly free. I was trapped. And so, my anger began to be pointed toward God. Why was I born a slave? What kind of God does this? Why did he allow me to be born into something that I could not escape from on my own? I could not have bought my freedom, as I had no money. I was also never granted my freedom. My only option was to take matters into my own hands and take my freedom. This I did, but it seems now that in doing so, I had merely escaped from one form of slavery to another. A more comfortable form of slavery, but still a form of slavery. To achieve real freedom, I needed more than to move from one class of person to another. And if this was true for me, it was true for all slaves. For there was no doubt that there existed a commonality of experience among all slaves. Sure there are some differences, but every slave knows what it is like to be the property of another person. To be at the absolute mercy and whim of another. To be dehumanized to the point of being a thing rather than a person. This was something that only slaves could consciously know and understand. But, thinking about my life as a freeman, and my interaction with other freemen, it was clear that there was also a commonality between all freemen. Slaves generally experience oppression in the same way that citizens generally experience privilege. Freemen seem to generally experience something in between. And this commonality seems to extend beyond classes. It was obvious that all kinds of common experiences had the ability to create a common connection or consciousness between different groups of people, including people from different classes. An example that immediately came to mind was the experience of almost dying at sea in a storm. Only those who have been on a ship during a rough storm where goods were thrown overboard to save lives could really understand it and speak about it. In such a case, the class did not matter, and so the threat of drowning transcended different class types. 
Other clear examples that came to mind included the connection between those who grow up in different parts of the world. Or for those who grew up with abused parents. Or between women who had experienced what it was like to love their own children as against those who could not conceive. Or between those who could read and write, and those who could not. The list of the kinds and types of common connections and consciousness that could exist between people seemed endless. What complicated things was not so much being part of a group, but rather the value and importance that was placed on having a particularly common experience or being part of a specific group. While I could not think of any grouping that was more important than the class into which a person is born, I knew many slaves who considered other things to be more important. There was no fixed hierarchy. And in the end, it seemed that everyone's life was a collage of experiences, based on their particular origin, and the life they had lived. This was the group of all groups, the one group that everyone was part of. And I was no different. As I reflected on my life as both a slave and as a freeman, and also on my drive for freedom, it was clear to me that being free went beyond the class I was part of. And from my time spent with others, it was clear that this same yearning for freedom was a common experience across all classes and groups of people. True freedom goes beyond the groups that we are part of. But this did not explain how can a slave be free in his slavery as the preacher had said. Being a slave on its own did not seem to offer a clear solution. For it was a personal question. It was a question of personal conscience. As I thought about the groups I belong to and my own conscience, it was clear to me that while group consciousness does exist, group conscience does not. I could not imagine a case where people who have a specific experience of some kind in common or belong to a specific class behave in exactly the same way. Experience can be common, but the response to the experience is always a personal choice. The reason seemed obvious. Experience is what happens to us. It is our personal morals and conscience that determine how we respond to the experience. So the question was not, what does a runaway slave do? Rather, it was, what does a runaway slave who claims to be a Christian do? This was a much deeper question. I recalled the preacher's words in Athens, when he said, from one man he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. These words represented a huge personal challenge. As I thought about it, I was forced to concede that the majority of people were, in some way, born into unfair environments. I was born a slave, while some are born free with no money and so need to sell themselves as slaves to survive. Also, having too much money can create a different kind of prison. Others are born to evil parents who abuse them. Some are born able to hold a sword, which is a massive advantage, while still others are born into tribes whose leaders take on the might of Rome in the name of freedom and are then wiped out. The list is endless. I was no different. How could a good God allow all this? Maybe it was possible that some things are more important and have greater value to God than groups of people with a common experience or man-made structures, like class. I remembered my conversation with the preacher around the issue of originality and the idea that some things are primary while others are secondary. And that, in the end, all these different conditions that we are born into are secondary. That the more we hold on to secondary things, the more they will define us, and ensure that we move away from God's originality. Because in God's mind, our originality is primary. A crack appeared in the dark clouds of my thoughts. 
Is it possible that God's originality for me is bigger than my personal circumstance and class? A short life filled with meaning because of a connection to God's infinite purpose is surely better than a long life with no connection to God's plan for the world. And on this view, it is also obvious that those who are born into privileged positions are also placed in difficult positions. They must give up their privilege to access their originality, while I only have to give up my pain. Which is easier to give up or deny? As the preacher once said, not only must everyone deny themselves to follow Jesus, but Jesus had noted that those who are privileged are at a disadvantage. Because, as he put it, it is easier for a camel to go through a small hole in a city wall than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those with privilege must deny and give up all they own to gain their souls, while a slave owns nothing, and so has little to deny in order to gain my soul. As much as this made sense to my mind, my heart struggled. For surely someone must pay for the unfairness of it all. Someone must pay for my pain, my disadvantage, the evil committed against me by others. This was the anger that had stirred in me. I deserve justice. I wanted justice. I wanted to see evil men suffer for my pain and disadvantage. But as I rode this thought, I found it running to a dead end, and the small voice in me whispered back, do you really only want justice? Or is there something else? Maybe you want to be the master, and you want your master to be your slave. Maybe you want to execute your justice. Maybe what you really want is revenge. But what gives you the right to judge? Why would the world be a better place simply because you have taken control and have the power? Where in this revenge is there a place for grace or forgiveness? And how do you reconcile your desire for revenge with the bigger problem that all, in some way, are slaves and so all suffer in some way? Your master was born into the position of privilege. And he has a difficult journey to connect to his originality just like you. And he will be accountable to do this more than you. And what about the good news, where Jesus suffered and died, taking onto himself the suffering of all, paying the price for all wrongdoing, and giving the promise of a judgment of all, including your master, where all men will be held accountable for their actions? There was no escaping it. My desire for revenge had no place in the life of someone who believed in the good news or who considered himself reconnected to his originality through the work of Jesus on the cross. And I did believe this. I also could not deny the reality of the peace I had experienced since I had put my trust in the life of Christ and the work of the cross. Nor could I ignore the deep sense of fulfillment that came with sharing the good news with others. After a while, a sense of peace began to grow despite there being no new options available to me. I had to recognize that I was ultimately no different to the freeman or citizen. In a real way, we all need mercy, and all have the right to demand justice. This is something that unites the citizen, the slave, and the freeman. No man does not need kindness shown to him. No man or woman is not wronged. Everyone has it in common that aligning themselves to their originality requires some denial, the abandonment of entailments held onto. Whether it is things made with our own efforts like my freedom that came about through me running away. Or whether it is relationships with the friends and family, like my friendship with the preacher and the team. Or things that are related to culture, or even the land on which we are born. If I truly believed in the work of the cross, then this is what was being asked of me. Then it dawned on me. What could my master really do to me? I could be punished, even killed, but nothing can take away my soul or the peace that passes understanding that was living in me. Nothing takes away the privilege of my kingdom citizenship. 
I may be a slave in man's culture but am a free citizen in the kingdom of God. If the message of the preacher is true, if Jesus is who he said he was, it not only gives hope to all, it also unites all. All who follow Jesus march to a different way of thinking, a way that is tied to their personal originality. All this pointed me to a better grasp of the preacher's encouragement that we should be in the world but not of the world. As the clouds of anger lifted, I began to examine the idea that maybe God had been with me all this time. Maybe going back would be an opportunity to be a witness to the grace that I had received. Or maybe God would physically save me in some way. Or maybe none of these. Whatever would happen, going back would remove my hypocrisy and my prison, and keep me connected to my originality. I left relieved, exhausted, anxious, confused and undecided. I needed to come clean with the preacher and get his thoughts. Later that day we sailed into Ephesus. I made my way back to the team, concentrating on my initial role, that of being a helper to the team. We landed in Ephesus and were met by a crowd of believers who were anxious to spend time with the preacher and catch up with his news and stories. Every day was a risk and so I kept a very low profile as I did not want to risk the chance of being noticed. Colossi was close, and there was every chance of being seen. 